forget that. Amen to that. Sometimes we fail to realize how much God loves us. Well, whenever you question that, you just remember that God sent his son to die on the cross so that we could have everlasting life. Don't ever question his love for us. Amen. Well, thank you for that. Well, it's been good to come home from camp. We always like coming home from camp and sleeping in our own beds and things like that. But we had a great week and you come tonight to hear about that. Our speaker this morning is no stranger to us. In fact, the first time he came, he left us more than we ever realized that we would get. He left me a wonderful daughter-in-law, amen, and now a precious grandbaby. As Kelly came on and uh, Daniel got to love each other and uh, became married. And so, uh, uh, Brother Frazier, we're indebted to you. You gave us Kelly, all right? So... uh, 
Are you still mad at me? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, well, the time is yours. You can preach right at me this morning, and you did at camp, and we had some good messages, and I believe uh, some of the, the most salvation decisions we've ever seen at a youth camp, and so uh, we're grateful, grateful for that. We've, we prayed for eternal results, and so, Brother Frazier, the time is yours. No, it is a great blessing to be back with you, and um, and I know about every three years we're kind of out west, and, and the plan is, I think the end of February of this coming up year, we'll, our team will be here again with you, and uh, looking forward to that, and so in the summer times it's a little different because the team is not with us, and so, uh, and then as we came out this summer, we flew out west, and um, just not too long ago made our way into Seattle area, and, uh, and then down to camp, and then um, actually later today I fly out. And I'm going to be in Southern California in a, a, a camp, another camp called Camp Ironwood, a Christian camp there. And it's been a great place there. So we'll minister there. I'll come back up, do a vacation Bible school for my father-in-law. He's up in Cedra, Woolley, Washington. And um, my family's up there and enjoying uh, their time with Grandma and Grandpa. And um, and so that's a lot of fun. And then what we'll do is I'll fly out to West Virginia, do another camp, and then come back and then... Then Camp Northwest again, and so looking forward to that. And then, uh, then right after Camp Northwest, actually the very next Tuesday, we fly out um, back to South Carolina, and uh, we actually make our way into Atlanta, then to South Carolina for a night, and then drive to Wilmington, North Carolina. And um, originally, we were thinking, we really were planning on driving out here, but the way the summer was kind of laying out, we just felt like, I don't know if that's the wisest thing, if there's a way that we could find tickets, and we looked into that, but to fly a, f- a whole family, you know, I've got five kids, and um, and so four boys, and now a little girl, and um, and so we just were thinking, ah, can we do this? And then we finally found some really good tickets that allowed us to be able to do that, and um, so, so that kind of saved us, we think, about three weeks of driving. And uh, I don't know about you, but that's a great blessing for me. <laughs> and um, and so anyway, after all that's said and done, we make our way to Wilmington and right away starting off with school camp and um, and then with the churches and, and uh, our new team. Uh, pray for us as our team would travel. And every year, you never know how many are going to be on the team. We do. We know how many are going to come onto the team. But and just how it's kind of working out that way. And it's just neat to see. We have a children's evangelist, a teen evangelist. We have uh, different ones that do music. Uh, the girls usually end up with secretarial duties and music and, and different kind of things as well. And so we're just thank, thankful for the Lord and what he's done. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. And uh, and even this week, what a blessing it was to, to be able to speak to juniors. That's actually one of my favorite groups sometimes, especially in the summer times, because in the, during the year we're always speaking to adults, which I love adults, don't get me wrong. Um, and, uh, and I love teenagers. I was Steve Pettit's teen evangelist for five years or plus there. So, um, but the truth is in the summer times we've, we, we were for many years directing a junior camp. And so that's what we would do in the summer. So it would be more towards children and teenagers and stuff like that as well in the summers. So the Lord has allowed us to continue doing a lot of that as we minister in churches and things like that as well. And even with the team. And so it was just a great blessing to to minister, even to my own kids. My own kids were at camp. I had two of my own kids at camp. So thank you for praying. And uh, pray for the senior week. We're praying that God would just continue to do a work of, of change and grace in people's lives and save people and, and uh, daily save people in that sanctification process. So let's take our Bibles and go to Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. 
this book um, has has made a powerful impact on my life in the last year. I've spent so much time in the book of Second Timothy, and I'll do that. I'll go through phases and, and things. I, my personal devotions, it's a little bit different. And then yet this is I'm something, a study that just really God has been using in my life. And I wish I wish I had a whole week with you right now that I could actually walk you through chapters one, two, three, and four. Uh, it is a powerful thing, and then to put it all together. But I'm going to kind of culminate this and take us to chapter three and to chapter four. That's where we're going to be in Second Timothy here today. And as we kind of get into this, before I get into this, I really want to talk about the whole idea of finishing strong. When I think about this, I think about Outside, looking in your lobby and seeing the little sign that says "Leaving a Legacy." I know that's coming up for you, and and I'm I'm thinking of that, and my heart aches and breaks a little bit. And here's why: about um, a year ago, uh, I was I was driving from um, Kansas to Wisconsin, and I'm on my way there. I get a phone call, and it was from a guy named Tom Craig. Tom Craig was my youth pastor, and uh, he was my youth pastor when I was not doing well spiritually at all. Uh, there were times where he would confront me and be at my house and talk to my parents, and it was, you know. Um, and then the Lord got a hold of my life. I was 17 years old. I, I'd gotten saved younger, but I was running from God, and, and at this point in time, the Lord gets a hold of my life, and it's a radical change, and... Um, and he becomes such a good friend because you think about all the people who loved you enough to say truth to you and to speak the truth and do it in love. And he was one of those. Uh, it's crazy because later I ended up actually at some point being being his assistant pastor, his youth pastor for a number of years, which he looked at me and he laughed. He says, Jeremy, I would have who would have ever have thought, you know, he said, you're the you're the kid that honestly he says every Monday I really considered leaving the ministry because of you. That's what he would say. <laughs> And then he said, and now it's you're my youth pastor, you know, and um, and yet God has just done a work in my heart, and my life. Uh, Tom Craig is just one of those friends and mentors through the years. It just uh, is probably, honestly, if the, probably the first person I would call in ministry of a trial or struggle would probably be him. Then probably Steve Pettit, somebody, he's another one too. But Tom Craig just has known me ever since I was younger, and and um, and. Uh, he calls me up and he says, hey, Jeremy, I want to tell you something because I'm telling my church this tomorrow. Um, he said, I went into the uh, doctor uh, this week on a Tuesday and was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, people don't live with pancreatic cancer. Basically, they've given me six months, maybe to a year to live. I mean, I didn't know how to respond. I, uh, it was just shock. It was one of those things that just shocked me. Um, what's amazing about the whole thing is, is that I was going to be making my way to uh, Tennessee, and that's where he was pastoring at the time, and um, had been pastoring there for probably about thirteen years or something like that, and. Before then, he was a youth pastor at my home church for 15 years. So this guy has been in the ministry for quite a while. 52 years old, though. Kind of young guy, you could say. Um, and three months later, uh, he's dead. 
And um, this guy, probably more than anyone I know personally, probably the greatest discipler. Um, probably, I mean, there are people all over the world uh, in ministry that he has helped disciple and helped uh, them in their walk with the Lord and just in ministry even spe- specifically. And I, I'm, I'm amazed at this. We kind of step back and go, whoa, here's an ordinary, normal guy. He really is just an ordinary, normal guy. There's nothing, I mean, if, if you saw him, you wouldn't be going, whoa, that guy must be some unbelievable. Just a normal guy walks with God and loves people and loves the word and touches lives. And I thought about this. I thought, you know what? I, man, this, he, he, he goes off the scene, but the truth is he leaves a legacy. Every one of us do. And I, 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 start to, I begin to think about the scriptures, especially as I'm studying 2 Timothy. I'm thinking, wow, that is like exactly where 2 Timothy is. Because actually 2 Timothy, it's, it's Paul writing to Timothy, and he's in, to encourage his son in the faith who actually he knows he's going to die soon. And he's actually passing the baton to the next generation, and he's passing it to Timothy, and Timothy's fearful, and yeah, what am I going to do? I can't follow in the footsteps of Paul. I mean, who could follow in the footsteps of Paul? You know, it's like, I mean, everything about this, and then the world of, of the shifting of the world in that day, and the churches being planted, which were exciting, but now f- facing serious struggles and trials, and, and here he is, and oh, 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 and again, his mentor, is the one who, who's going to help him is going to be gone, and what is he going to do? And I think about this because it's amazing because I, my question really this morning is how do you finish strong? Many people start well, but how do you actually finish strong? How can you have a living legacy? Because the truth is we don't know how long we have. We might have many years later, but we might not. So how can we live in such a way to have a living legacy even now or a legacy later that really isn't about us but that points people to the lord and is actually really useful and, and a great blessing of a life and i think it's answered here because when we see this the, the person who actually has a living legacy there's four things that i want to see this morning that we'll see right in the scriptures as we look at this passage in in second timothy and i want to go back to chapter three a little bit because i want us to see this in chapter three we start off and you have this whole idea of perilous times are going to come and there's going to be some really bad things. I love this because he actually tells us the truth about real, honest ministry. It's not easy, Timothy. And I, I like that he doesn't pull back and doesn't say, well, you know, everything's great in ministry. <laughs> no, actually, he tells us truth of him. And he says, and there's going to be, an, there's going to be seasons of really bad times and bad things. And, and then he lists all these different things, 19 different sins in a row he lists. In chapter 3, and then you go further and talk about the people involved in these, many of them religious kind of people involved in these different kind of sins, and yet being phonies and fakes. And he sees this, and it says in verse 13, that's where we'll kind of start here, it says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Like it's it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. That's what the scripture teaches us. It doesn't get better and better and better. And then he says, he says that, and then in verse 14, he says, but to Timothy, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hath been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. I love this. As we kind of look into this, I want to preach this morning on how to have a living legacy. And my prayer is that God would use this to stir you and to stir me for a greater service for him. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for the truth of the word. God, we don't need opinions. We need the word. 
And so, God, I pray that you would empower me now and use me now during this next couple of moments for these, my friends here. I thank you so much for the church. Thank you so much for pastor and Lord and how you have risen up a place like this. Thank you. Thank you for the new building that's coming along. And I pray that you would uh, continue to allow that to go well and the transition to go well. Lord, I pray more than any of that, though, for souls. And we pray for the truth of the word that you would use us. Help us, God, to have a living legacy, to be useful for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So how do you have a living legacy? Well, number one, I think it's very clear. Because if you look in verse 14, he's telling him to go back to the source. He's saying, Timothy, in order to have a living legacy, in order to be greatly used of God, in order to actually finish strong, you must go back to the source. You must be rooted in it and grounded in it. And he tells him about this in verse 14. He says, but continue thou as all these bad things are going to happen. No, Timothy, you continue in the things which thou hast learned and have been assured of and of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Think about the people that taught you, Timothy. And then he goes back even further. Verse 15, he says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He's saying, remember this. You were taught the scriptures even when you were a kid. And we learn of this even in chapter 1 as we're told about how his, his, his grandmother and even his mother who taught him the scriptures. And then here's Paul who, who taught him the scriptures. And, and again, here, here he was before as a child and now as a young adult, as, as, as you could say, actually probably in his 30s at this point. He's, he, there he is and he's, and he's kind of being told, listen, you continue. Remember what you learned when you were a kid? Remember? Which were able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The scripture is what brought you to salvation. The scripture is actually given to you by God. Remember, look at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? It means it is, it's God breathed. God breathes it out into existence and it's from God. This is not what we think of normally as inspiration, you know, because when we think of inspiration, we think of, you know, like a, a someone who sits down as a musician and writes something, you know, and plays something new or an artist or something. And they're inspired. But that's not what this word means. This word means it's breathed out by God. And he's saying that the scripture that we have, God's scripture to us, all scripture, all of it, the totality from Genesis to Revelation, the completed canon of scripture, it is given by inspiration of God. It is breathed out by God and it is profitable for doctrine. That's truth. You want to know the real truth? Read the word. For truth, for reproof. What happens when we read the truth and we look at our own lives? We're, well, we're kind of rebuked, aren't we? Like, ouch. Um. We see things that need to change. But praise God, it says for correction. It's the idea of resetting a bone. It's like, and, and, and the truth is, if, if you break a bone and it's broken badly and it's not reset correctly, you will be mangled maybe for life. And so this whole idea is, is no, now, now that God's word is telling you what, what's the truth is and, and where you've gone wrong, it's telling you how to get right. And then not just that, how to stay right for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. That means matured, thoroughly furnished into all good works. What do you need? You need the word. And you need it in your personal life. And he's reminding Timothy as a preacher, Timothy, you need this in your personal life. You need to go back to the source. This is this is anybody greatly used of God. You'll see one common denominator. 
They are people who go back to the source. They're constantly rooted and grounded in the word. It's not just coming to church on a Sunday. I mean, how many people, people do that all over. It's not just having a Bible. I've heard people say that. I've got, I've got a Bible. I mean, I've heard people say, don't worry, our church is founded. We even in the, in our concrete in the corners, you know, we actually buried some Bibles. We're founded on the Bible. You know what I mean? You're going, that's kind of weird. But you know what I mean? I understand what they're doing, but you know, it's amazing how we can say we're so grounded and founded on it, but are we really in it personally? Do we seek to know God through the word personally? Where we're saying, God, speak to me. God, use me. God, work in me. Like my maybe my greatest challenge to the juniors is they would leave, and anyone who would leave camp with that, they would just have a personal walk with God. Because that's where it stems out of. And anybody greatly used of God, find it, look at the life, and you'll find a person who is consistent in the word, letting God change him every day, maybe morning, maybe sometime during the day, maybe at night, but they are in the word daily, letting God speak to them. Are you? Now, I realize we, here's, here's the normal thought. Well, it's really busy, Jeremy, and I'm busy. And our world's busy. And I don't disagree with any of that. I think it is really busy. I think our world is really busy. And I think we usually make us our, make ourselves really busy. You know what I mean? We just, there's just a lot going on, huh? That's just kind of normal. I mean, for you, if you feel like, well, I'm not busy at all, well, you know, that's odd. Because I don't think most people feel that way. Most people go, man, this is so busy. You know, some people who are retired. I, I, you know, some of you are here and you're retired. And you know what? I, I, I find that many retired people say to me, you know, I'm busier now than I've ever been. And, um, but the truth is, you always find time to do what you really love. It's amazing as a retired person has a hobby, they can find time usually for that hobby. Or if it's really important to them, maybe there's a sickness that they face and they, and they have to go to the, to the doctor and they have to get the medicine. And so there must be, and, and first, whoa, they somehow found it important enough to make it there. I'm just saying that all of us here find time to do what's important to us and what we really love to do. I think everybody in this room probably has the same love that I have. And it's a love for food. You like food? Anyone like food? Okay. <laughs> Some of you are already thinking of lunch, and it's, it's only a little after 10, you know. Um, but you think about food, and so there's a sense of, okay, you find time to eat, don't you? I mean, when's the last time you're like, whoa, it's been a whole week, and I haven't eaten a thing. So busy. And actually, sometimes that's the problem. Because the truth is you need to eat spiritually. And if you're not careful, what will happen is you'll be going, what's wrong with me? And the truth is, anybody greatly used of God realizes, listen, I've got the word. This is God's word. And God, I want to know you. And the truth is, it takes it takes special revelation from God in a sense, doesn't it? It takes it's called illumination. That's why the psalmist prayed, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. Why would the psalmist pray this? He's a writer of the psalms, but yet he's he's crying out to say, God, open my eyes because he knows he is sinful in that sense. And God is holy. And if without God's help, he won't get it. So God, open up my eyes. And uh, as you do that, you know what God does? God does open up your eyes. He starts to show you the truth as you beg him for it and you. You ask God, God, work in me. 
God, change me. Satisfy me, God, with you. Don't satisfy me with stuff. Don't satisfy me with family, with sins. Uh, don't satisfy me with my, my own selfishness or my own, my own loves. God, satisfy me with you and the word. God, speak to me. Change me. Challenge me. Is this you? Are you rooted there? Are you grounded there? Are you consistently in it? Are you pursuing God as you read the word? That's one of the things that you see. Secondly is this. There, you must get serious about a coming, uh, a, a coming judgment. Here's what I mean by this. Okay, you're going back to the source consistently. Anybody going to be used of God, have a living legacy, you actually are people who are, are rooted in the source and God is working in you personally. But then not just that, you, you have a realization, I'm going to stand before God. In other words, you, you must get serious about the coming judgment. Now as you move into chapter 4, look at verse 1. Because now it's interesting because chapter one, he says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, my dearly beloved son, how I long to see you. I remember the last time we were together, he even speaks of and how how it's like we were together. And the truth was, is there were tears there. And, and I just I just long the joy that we had, the, the fellowship that we had. He was just talking about that in chapter one. But what's amazing here in chapter 4, it's at the very end. This is the last bit that he's given to Timothy. And now what does he say? He says in verse 1, I charge thee. This is like a military command now. <laughs> he's saying, Timothy, you know I love you, but let me give, I'm, I'm going to charge you here. And listen to what he says. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, that's the living, and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He's saying, I'm charging you this, and you know that you're going to stand before God for your life. And as he's saying this, he's reminding him that he will stand before God for his life. Now, think about this. This is a person who realizes, okay, God's going to judge the, the living and the dead. In other words, he's going to judge those who are spiritually alive and those who are spiritually dead. All of us stand before God in judgment. You might be in here, maybe even this morning, you're without Christ. Can I just, and you might even say, well, I don't even believe in God. Well, it doesn't really matter. You're going to stand before him in judgment. Whether you try to believe in him or not, he's real and he, he is truthful and he's given us the truth and there's a great white throne judgment for you. And that's, that is the most frightening thing because the truth is, is anybody who faces that judgment is going to be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. But for a Christian, we don't face that, do we? No, we, we would go before the judgment seat of Christ. And actually, it's a place of examination and a place of reward. And it should be a great encouragement to Christians because we're going to stand before God. But it's also a sobering reminder. As we think about this whole idea, this should be a constant sobering reminder of our sovereign Lord. We're called to serve him, to be used of God. Could you imagine? And, and God looks at you and he's examining your life. And you're like, well, I would have served you. But I was busy. Well, I had this friend and I just couldn't stop watching TV. You know, I. And this is a person who who realized this is a sobering thing. And it's like I like as, as one writer put it this way. Don't waste your life. say, well, Jeremy, I've wasted so many years so far. Well, don't waste anymore. I mean, you look at this, it's getting serious about the judgment. We're going to stand before God, and it may be a lot sooner than many of us think. But all of us will. 
Number three is this. You must be committed to preach the word. Or maybe you could say this, be committed to the preaching of the word. I realize not everyone is called to be a preacher and to, and to stand behind in a pulpit and deliver a message this way. Not everyone's necessarily called to be a Sunday school teacher that way. But the truth is, as many of you have and have done this, but God has called us all to preach the word in a sense of individually to others. We're all supposed to proclaim the gospel to people, aren't we? That's for every last one of us who are true believers. But there's a sense of a serious commitment to, to those who are going to publicly even proclaim this. Now, I I look at this, and I think this is an issue. You say, what are you talking about? In our world today, watch this. His charge in verse 1. I charge thee before God. What's the charge that he's saying? And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom. So I'm charging you. What is his charge? Verse 2. That's what his charge is. His charge is, I charge you to preach the word, Timothy. Now, when he says this, You have to think through this for just a minute. Okay, preach the word. Notice he didn't say this. Timothy, you know what I'm charging you to do? I am challenging you to preach your opinions. Because you've got some really good opinions and everyone else needs to hear your opinions. It doesn't say that. Um, it, It doesn't say, you know, preach really good stories. Now, wait a second. I, If you came to camp, you heard me tell some stories. Okay? And I know for junior age, I would do a a four-part story a lot of times in the morning, and yet I'm still preaching this of two. But in reality is, ultimately, you know, they, they don't need the story. They need the word, but God can use the stories because God does use parables, and Jesus did. And there's uh, different elements of being able to communicate truth to people. But ultimately, he's telling Timothy, no, Timothy, preach the word. Declare it. Now, the word preach means it's it's this Greek word caruso. It's the idea of proclaim. It's heralding it. It's not saying, um, if you guys really want to maybe kind of sort of obey the Lord and follow him, maybe do it, okay? (laughs) Sorry. No, it's not that. No, it's saying this is what the word says and you need to do it. There's a sense of proclamation there. And the truth is in our culture, that declarative or truth telling is almost like an unheard of. It's like most churches, what's going on? It's not happening that way. And notice what he says as he's telling them to preach the word. Now, I say this and you say, well, Jeremy, I'm not called to preach the word. Okay, maybe you're not in that sense. But the truth is we as true believers ought to be so committed to the preaching of the word. When I think about this, I think about um, a number of years ago, I was uh, finishing off the uh, spring time of our meetings, and, and we have a, usually like a two-week break time of some sort, and it was kind of right around Mother's Day, and I was at a church, and, and we just said, hey, it's a good, this is be a good church to be go-to, and, and just kind of in the area, and, and it was a fundamental church teaching the Bible and stuff too, and I, I remember going and sitting in there, and and the guy begins to speak, and he talks about four qualities of a good mother. He opened up in prayer. Good. He read the Bible. He read a passage of Scripture. Good. And after that, we never saw Scripture. They were truths. And I was thankful for the truths, but there was there was a scriptural backing. There was no... I realized, wait a second, apart from him opening up the service in prayer and reading the scripture, I actually could have heard the same message at a community event for mothers. 
And my heart's hurting. And I walked away and I told my wife, as we're driving down the road, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, this is why some people are actually leaving fundamental kind of churches because they're not actually preaching the Bible. I said, that is so frustrating because I was so hungry. I wanted to be fed. I just, you know, and I, the truth is, can, you can have bad days in preaching. Hello, you can have bad days. And we've all, as preachers, had them, you know. But it's like, at least give us the word. Try to give us the scripture. The other side of this, I'm at this camp and here I am watching this. And it's like a, it's like a prep to get people ready for camp. I was at 10 different weeks of summer camp last summer in different places. That's a, so here, I, I'm at one of them and they're training counselors. And during the training, the, one of the main messages in the evening, which are meant to, to challenge them to really walk with God and to, and to know God. And the challenge was, let me tell you about the book that changed my life. And it wasn't the Bible. Now, I will say this. If I were to ask the guy, was the Bible the book that changed your life ultimately? He said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But here's what he was doing. He was saying, here's a good Christian book that can help you in your spiritual life about these things. Here's what the book's about. Here's the main points of the book. Here's us the points of the book. Here's illustrations of this. And here's the message. I believe this because it's biblical. And they gave a couple of scripture references and just kind of quoted them, not really expounding anything, but just kind of gave a couple of scripture references. And then the second point was, and I don't, not only it's biblical, but it's, it's practical. And then the point number three was it's helpful. And then he kind of finished off and I thought, well, that's not, that's not preaching the word either. That's, that's the problem. You know, I'm like, and this, and this comes from another, from on the, almost on the opposite side of a guy personally going, I don't like fundamental stuff, you know, and, and it's almost like reacting and you're going, what? Preach the word. This is what we need. Now notice as he says this, you can see all these things. He says, be instant in season and out of season. What does it mean? It means you always be ready, Timothy. You think of it this way. Well, you're always be ready. Yeah, you're always ready, whether it's convenient or not. You're always on duty. How many of you, how many of you sometimes wake up on a Sunday morning, be honest. How many of you have ever woken up on a Sunday morning and didn't feel like coming to church? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> I raised my hand too. And we're the preachers. But how many of you didn't feel like coming, but you did come? And by the time you left, you went, man, I'm so glad I went to church today. Would you raise your hand? Isn't that awesome? That's why we don't live on our feelings. We live by faith and we live on truth and that the feelings will follow, you know. But you look at this. I'm saying this. You're always on duty, whether whether you feel like it or not, Timothy, whether the listeners want to listen or not. Not everyone likes to listen. You pre- I wish I wish so bad you could see what we see. Yes, if you're like, if you're like picking their nose or something, you know, you're like, what's going on? I mean, you see all kinds. The funniest things are for me is when people, when I'm, I get to talk to people and I've been watching the whole time and preaching or something too, and, and the person's been sleeping the whole time, and they come up to me afterwards and they say, man, that was one of the best messages I think I've ever heard. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I say. <laughs> not all the times listeners like it. The truth is, as the times go further and further, they're not really going to like the truth, are they? But we declare it. We're ready. 
We reprove. What is that? We prove one wrong. We deal with false doctrine. We deal with the problems. We rebuke. We that. What does that mean? It means we're correcting. We're correcting misbehavior. We deal with the heart. We try to deal with the heart issues, not just the fruit. Because if we deal with the fruit only, you can't change the fruit. You got to change the heart. Therefore, the fruit changes. You know what I mean? And so we deal with the heart of this. We we rebuke, but then we also exhort. Could you imagine if all we ever did was go hack, 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 reprove and rebuke? The truth is there is a sense of exhortation. What's that? Encouragement. It comes from this word parakaleo. It's like the whole idea of the whole, even the Holy Spirit, this, this one that comes alongside of we, we do encourage. We say, listen, you can serve God through his strength. You can do it. It's okay. We challenge one another. We do this with long suffering and we do this with doctrine, long suffering. You know what the word long suffering means? It literally means this. It deals with people. It's putting up with people. Why? Because people are painful. You are painful. But so am I. Some of you are like, I know. <laughs> In other words, because of all of this idea of, of you put up with people's painful and stubborn. I mean, that's your, your pastor has never said this, said this, but I've heard many people say this, that where they say in ministry, they say ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. But if it weren't for the people, you wouldn't have a ministry. You know what I'm saying? But the truth is, is that people are painful and they are stubborn and, and you keep with long suffering, this great patience with people. You keep giving them the doctrine. You keep giving them the teaching. Paul says there's going to be a time that will come. Look at this in the scriptures. There's this time. Notice what it says is it's saying the time will come when they don't want to hear. You know, when you think about this whole idea of the time will come, it's the idea of an epic there's a season, and this season, they don't want to hear it. Notice again, because it actually says this in verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, their own sinful desires, they shall heap to themselves teachers. They want multiple teachers, many people telling them things, having itching ears. In other words, they want to have, they want to hear new things. They, it's like, it's like the idea of a dog that comes up to you and you scratch the dog's ears or you scratch and you walk away and the dog follows you. And wants more because why? Because it feels really good. And it's the idea of, again, all this. And it says, and they shall return their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. What is this talking about? Well, what's crazy is this. People, they don't want to hear sound doctrine. It says that. There's going to be an, a season where people don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear what the Bible says. Don't give me that Bible. And even in churches, well, oh, no, I don't want to. They desire many teachers. And others, oh, man, I, one guy told me, I go to one church here, I go to another church over here, and I go to another church. He told me he goes to three different churches. He's not, he, I am not, he's like, I'm not a member of any. I get the best of all these worlds. And I said, actually, it sounds really arrogant. He said, what are you talking about? I says, well, what happens when you tank in your sin and you need to be church disciplined? And, and church discipline is for the purpose of restoration. And you need people to come alongside to challenge you in your walk with, the God, with God and, and to set you straight. And you don't, you're not a member. Now you're a maverick. And that's not the way God made us. God made us to be part of the assembly, part of the body. And so it's, you, you think, of, and then there's people that go, well, I get the best of all these different worlds because I just get to listen. And they're li- listening for something new. And the truth is, if it's really something new, okay, either you're just a brand new believer or it's not right. Because the truth is, is we're not giving you new things, are we? We're really kind of declaring the, 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 the old truths that are consistent there. We're having to keep going over those truths. That's the nature of our Christian life. 
So you look at this whole idea of reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and you do all these things. People don't want to. People, listen to this. They, they, they had these desires, these lusts. In other words, they want to hear what pleases them. Well, I'm not going to go to that church. That that guy like kind of shoots it too straight. I mean, it's like now that guy over there, man, he's so nice. He's like America's pastor. He's he's real nice. He's got his hairs all nice. He's got that big smile. You can have that best life now. You really can. They just want someone to tell them good stories. They would rather listen to fables. What's that mean? It's like they would rather just hear a good story. Oh, that story touched my heart. Now, God uses illustrations and he used. But when's the last time someone said, wow, that word touched my heart. <laughs> it's amazing how our world is shifting. And the truth is, is at any moment now, what can we do? You could you could go to any church around the world, literally, and you could hear all of the entertainment. You could have hear all the kind of stuff that's going to please and fluff. And it's like, duh, duh, duh. And hey, how do you want your church? Oh, that sounds good. Let's do a church like that. And, and, and you're talking to lost people how they want a church. They are children of darkness, children of wrath. And you're saying, OK, how do you what do you really want in a church? It's unbelievable. And so what does he say? He says in verse five, he says, but watch out in all things. What does that mean? It means to be alert, means to be be free of intoxicants, be sober. You watch on all things, endure afflictions. You, that means what? It means suffer evil. He's saying, listen, he's saying this is the part of if you speak truth, you will suffer. And you're seeing this in our modern day, aren't we? Culturally, as our culture shifts and all these things are going on, we're going, whoa, here are people just saying, no, I don't think it's right to do this. And now they're persecuted for this. It's going to get worse. And we see this, so you endure the afflictions, but it's okay you suffer evil because Jesus suffered evil. Anyone used of God suffers evil. That happens to them as you walk with God. If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will what? Suffer persecution. And that's only normal. You may even suffer it among the Christians. Sadly. Do the work of an evangelist. What is that? It's just it's the idea of, of proclaiming the gospel. We should so want to tell the truth and want to tell the gospel. We, we are evangelistic. We make full proof of our ministry. What does that mean? It means to give full measure. It's the idea of giving wholeheartedness to the ministry that God's called you. Don't, don't be like, well, I, you know, I'll give part of it. No, go all out for the sake of the ministry, for the sake of the Lord with your life. That's good to hear. I hold back sometimes. And we need to go all out and make full proof of this. And then the fourth thing, the last thing would be this, that you must lead by example. In other words, we're, yes, we're, we're grounded personally in the word. We're serious about the coming judgment. We're committed to the preaching of the word. And then we, we then live a life that's an example. We lead by example. Because the truth is, again, I kind of made a joke about it at camp. I said, could you imagine if all of a sudden in the midst of the message, I, I pull out a cigarette and I start smoking and I, I start, I start doing some, I start doing, you know, drinking a little bit, maybe some drugs and stuff. And I'm telling, hey, you, you just do what I, what I say, but don't do what I do. 
Now, if you as a parent are guilty of saying, do what I say, but don't do as I do, that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's just saying, I'm a big hypocrite, but don't follow my life, but here's what you need to do. Well, that works. Okay, Dad. That doesn't work. And you look at this, you lead by example. Now, notice the last bit of this thing, okay, so we can see this. We'll finish off here. As you lead by example, now look in verse 6, because he gives the example of his own life. He says, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He's speaking of the present tense. He's saying in his life, now the Apostle Paul brings it back to his own life. He's saying it's the time to be offered. He actually is showing us the idea of a drink offering. The truth is there was there was a burnt offering, there's the grain offering, and, and, and I th- believe it's right in... Um, in Numbers chapter 15 or whatever, as it kind of deals with this. So you got the, you got the, you got the burnt offering, you got the grain offering, then the drink offering was the last bit that was poured over the offering just as a sweet smelling savor. And the whole idea is Paul saying now his life has been a burnt offering. He has lived it out as a grain offering, but now it's the end of his life it's being poured out. He is done. He says, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. That's a great picture, too, because it would be like the picture of a World War II. And World War II is we, we defeated and we won. And then the, the military men are getting back into the ships to get into the boat. And as they're doing this, they're going to set sail back to America. And they hoist the anchor. They loosen the ropes to come home. What do you think is going on in their heart? They're going, we're going home. And he's saying this is his life. He knows he's right at the end of his life and he's ready to go home. And, it, and, and this is the nature of it because he's going to be, well, beheaded. He's going to be martyred. And it's coming up very soon. And then he says this about his past. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. He, he brings the idea of, of this battle that he's fighting. He brings this whole idea of running and finishing his course. I have kept the faith. It's not just any faith. It's No, it's the one true faith. He's kept it. He has held tight to this. Henceforth, now he speaks of the future. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. There's a sense of eternal reward. And actually, what seems to say here by the scripture... The language, the, the Greek language, basically is talking about what's called a genitive of apposition. Basically, it's saying this. It's a crown which is righteousness. It's this idea. Anyone who longs for the righteousness of Christ, well, first of all, who would that be? That would be any Christian. Any true Christian longs for this. And he's saying, listen, as you, if you long for this, guess what? One day you will make it there and you will receive that righteousness. In other words, you, I, it's like the, someone asked the old preacher, they said, you know, what about sin in your life? And he just said, I hate sin. I hate it. I long to be made right with God perfectly. And so there's a sense of here's Paul showing his life. And I think about this life. I, you know, my, my heart is so amazed. I'm amazed because I go back to my friend. I'll finish off just saying this. My friend Tom Craig, I could think about even the Apostle Paul. He finished and he went all the way to the end. But here's my friend. He gets diagnosed, 52 years old. He performs that summer two different weddings because they were, he has three daughters and the oldest two were engaged and getting married. And so he did one in one month and one the next month his wife had her birthday. But in the midst of this, he's still striving to preach and striving to work to the end. His body's getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier, and he's losing weight. It's like it's the cancer is attacking him. It's taking over. And then, and then three months into it, 
he dies. But you know what's crazy about his life throughout that summer? It was the way he lived always. In other words, he was living out the gospel every day naturally. What did he change? Really nothing. If you knew you were going to die in three months, would you change some things? Probably most of us would go, whoa, I probably need to change that and that and that. But here's a guy who's being faithful. Faithful to the end. And may God help you have a living legacy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for the word. And God, we need the word. I pray that everyone in this room would be so committed. But when I think about this, my heart breaks because sometimes it's a Sunday morning crowd. And then Sunday night, everything chops away in half. And then you have a Wednesday night that chops even less. And Lord, it just shows a world that doesn't hunger and thirst after you and the word. I pray that you would so stir your true believers to want more and to go deeper with you personally, publicly. They would live the life out. God, I pray that you would work in us in a great way. Lord, that we would realize we're going to stand before you. God, thank you for those who have been faithful and those who have given us the truth about what to do in order to be faithful. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I just want to ask some questions and we'll pray. How many here would say this? You'd say, Jeremy, I'm here today and God is speaking to my heart about being personally in the word. I'm really, not, I'm really not consistent and faithful daily in the word, and I need to be, and I want to be. Pray for me, Jeremy. And you just slip your hand up and hold it up. Pray for me, Jeremy. God's speaking to my heart. Yeah, many of you here. And you know what? Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes we do well, and there will be seasons where we go, ah, what am I doing? And, and so there's a sense of recommitment there. I wonder maybe how many of you here may even say this, Jeremy, when it comes to this whole idea of, of the public preaching of the word, I just, I, I find myself so busy and I just, you know, maybe it's like I can't come back Sunday nights or I can't come on Wednesdays. I can't really be a part of that. The truth is we need it. And some of you need to not despise prophecy, prophecy in the sense of prophesying, in the sense of the truth telling of the word. Don't despise that. Don't neglect it. Hunger and thirst. Pray for your pastor. I wonder how many would say, Jeremy, God is speaking to me about my life because my life doesn't really back up the word as it should. And God is speaking to me about that. And you just slip your hand up and hold it up. Pray for me, Jeremy. Okay. Yeah, a number of you. You know, in the quietness of this moment, I want to just, as the pianist plays, if God's dealing with you, would you do business with him? Will you do that right now? As uh, she plays, you do business with the Lord. in our decisions. Lord, many of us have made decisions throughout our lives. 
I'm thankful for those commitments that we can make and how you encourage us, not only in those decisions, but you continue to work on our hearts. That's your love for us. Lord, you continue to show us things that we can improve on. That's our growth. That's our progress. That's our sanctification as it grows in a mature way. Father, we've heard that the Word of God is so needed to help us to grow. And Lord, in a day that we live, we know that we need to have more of the Word of God, not less. And Father, as we even see in Hebrews where it talks about coming to church and assembling together, not that we need less, we need more. So Lord, help us to find our strength in Your Word. Help us to be courageous to stand up. And here Paul is giving his last words of testimony to encourage a young preacher. Lord, I pray that we've been encouraged in our heart. Lord, we are on the winning team if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. Lord, help us to go out and now and to serve you faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, that's been good preaching, hasn't it? Amen. Well, I thank you, Brother Jeremy, for that good, clear word. Boy, how we need that. And and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I saw Cheryl put out our Bible pathways back there. And there are many, many people who are involved in reading through the Bible in a year's time. And they're back there on the back, and you want to pick those up. And if you have concern about your direction of your life, where you're going to spend eternity, or just how do I get into the Word of God, or maybe I need to be discipled, that Lord would help you to follow through with any of those decisions before, before you leave. Also tonight, I want to encourage you to come back as our young people will be putting on the presentation for camp. We're also tonight are going to be taking up an offering tonight for kids to go to camp, all right? We did not do that back in May. And uh, we sent nine kids, you can imagine, on buddy scholarships to camp. And that we gave them $100 each. Almost every one of those nine got saved this week. And I just want to encourage you to be a part of helping young people to come to know Jesus Christ. And so tonight, we'll be a part of that. Amen. And then uh, just uh, some other things. Uh, I guess there's a memorial in uh, just under uh, two weeks for Brother Allen. And Carol Waterfield has said that they would like to sign up for food back there in the back uh, to help with that. And we also have volunteer Christian builders coming in in two weeks. And so a sign-up list uh, for that, or is that in three weeks? Are they coming in? I, I you know, it's they're coming in. All right, <laughs> just sign up and help us with that. All right, and let's see, is there anything else? Oh, there's a couple gallons of milk in the refrigerator. If you need a gallon of milk, please do that. And and also, John and Kathy, uh, are they in this service here? Uh, they celebrated their anniversary yesterday. Uh, Fifty-two years. Amen. Now, and then a couple other announcements up there. I think uh, just the, the sign up for the meals and one other announcement. Uh, the new members, we're, if you'd like, you know, we don't want people to go into three different churches. Uh, if you feel like Westside's a place where the Word of God is preached, you know, and, and uh, we have a new members orientation, which uh, if you're to find out more about Westside, that's going to be on the uh, Tuesday night at 630 at night. And and uh, bottom line, we're just going to go over what is Westside about. And we want people to join knowing with their eyes open what they're getting into. And uh, so you come be a part of that. All right. God's been good, hasn't he? Amen and amen. We're going to dismiss you.
you are dismissed. Thank you for coming. Shake hands with our guests that are here this morning. So many guests here this morning. Shake hands with them.